gentlemen, all the way live from Hartford, Mr. Michael Hunter. Oh my goodness, hilarious. Well, is it my turn? Am I supposed to be talking now? Okay. Well, good morning, everyone. So um, I'm in my living room with Beth Ann, my kid, my dog, my cat. We're all here, people. We're all here. It's very exciting. Uh, Everyone, John Putman has managed to put more than just my PJs on today. Um, but it's very exciting, very fun to be here doing this with you. Um, there's a real echo, so I'm just going to keep going. And who knows if, if I make any sense or not, but I'm just going to keep going. All right. But I'm going to pray first. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thanks for the chance to, uh, to be together or not but to be together uh, in our hearts and um, to come to say to you with all of our hearts, we love you, we need you, we trust you. We are here for you. We are here because of you. Thank you for bringing us together today. In your name we pray, amen. So um, if you don't know, I'm home because I was at a conference just a few days ago, and someone at the conference, I don't even know who, tested positive for the coronavirus. So I was instructed by Young Life to, to go home and stay home. So that's what I'm doing. So I wish I could be there with you, but uh, we're at home, and we'll be here for a little while. So don't come by and say hi. Um, so I wanted to start with uh, uh, a true story, something that that happened to me years ago. I was working at a church in Atlanta, uh, and I and found out that we were going to have a, a visitor to the, the church. Uh, the president of the United States was coming to our church. That was a big deal. We were like, holy moly. And I'll never forget the Sunday morning when he arrived. There was 250 people there came with him just to protect him. There were snipers on the roofs of all the buildings. Oh, no. Have we lost video? Poor connection. Can you hear me? Okay. So um, there were snipers on the roof of all the buildings. Uh, they had brought um, dogs in to sniff for bombs throughout the buildings. And then to attend church that Sunday morning, you actually had to go through metal detectors. So um, I remember walking into the building and the first 10 rows, if you wanted to sit in those, the uh, executive pastor of the church was working with the Secret Service and he had to know you personally. And his daughter was on the, um, the third row and she was like, Michael, come here, come sit with us. So I go down and the Secret Service guy stops me and says, uh, Nolan, come over here. Do you know this guy? And he's like, yeah, I know Michael. He works here at the church. We're sitting on the third row, and right in front of us are, are four empty seats. And we're like going, you don't think, right, that they would be. But no, sure enough, uh, when after the services started, the doors open, and we welcome in um, 
President George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush, his wife, and they literally come walking straight over and sit right in front of me. I mean, I could have reached up and grabbed Barbara's hair and messed with it, you know, that was how close they were. I chose not to do that because sitting next to me was their personal bodyguard, Secret Service agent, who I knew was carrying at least one gun, if not more. And um, I remember uh, at one point we stood up to sing a song and I had my hymnal in front of me and I leaned it onto the pew. I was so nervous. I'm sitting right behind the president of the United States, you know, and we're, we're and then they finished the hymn. We begin to pray. And then my hymnal slipped out of my hand and landed on the pew where the president was sitting with a big thump, a big boom. Right. So I slowly look at the secret service agent who has has his hand on his gun and he slowly looks at me with a look that basically says, you are an idiot. And I thought, seriously, I thought I'm about to get kicked out of here, but no, it's all good. But the most powerful thing I thought, here's this, here's the president of the United States and his wife sitting in front of me and our pastor walks over and he begins to pray for them. And he asked people to lay their hands on him. And I'm like, I am not touching the president, not happening. So I got the hands in the air thing going on, you know, I don't want the, I don't want secret service guy to take me out. So we're just, you know, we're praying over him and they're weeping. President Bush and his wife are just crying their eyes out because it meant so much to them that people who didn't even know them would pray for them like that. And it stuck with me. And I thought of that story, true story, because of uh, the passage that we're looking at today, I think has uh, reminds me of that. This passage is in, is in Mark chapter five. Uh, and um, as you guys know, we've been going through Mark and what is going on, just to give you a little context, is we are back in Capernaum. So Jesus has gone over to the other side of the of the Sea of Galilee, the lake, and now he's back in Capernaum. And um, this is what happens. This is verse 21. It says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And verse 24 says, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Let me stop there for a moment. So Jairus, Jairus is the head of the synagogue. He is a powerful person like the president. He is, uh, he is, you know, one of the most important people, if not the most important per person in Capernaum, because he controls who can come in and out of the synagogue. He has the, the say to uh, allow someone to participate in worship or not. He um, he can stand at the door and tell you, yes, you can enter to worship the Lord, or no, you cannot. He's a powerful guy, important guy. He's also a guy that's probably feeling a little stuck because the religious leaders are there in town.
town. They're supposed to be his people, his kind, and yet they're there because they don't like Jesus. So it would have been really, really um, hard for him to actually go to Jesus and ask for something because his reputation would have been on the line. Matter of fact, going to Jesus would have meant he was picking a side that he actually believed in Jesus, and he would have been going against the rest of the church leaders, the religious leaders, who would have then rejected him. But he chose, out of desperation, to go to Jesus. I mean, think about it. He is he is in the most desperate place he could ever be, right? He's scared to death. His 12-year-old daughter is on the verge of death. And he... Um, and he sees Jesus, and not only does he come over to Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, can you help? It says he falls at Jesus' feet. He's so desperate. He's like on the ground in the most humble position he can be as the leader of the synagogue, and he's holding on to Jesus' feet, and he's begging him, please, please help me. He's desperate. And so Jesus says, yes, I'll go with you. So they're in a hurry, you know. It's like his daughter's on the verge of death. We're in a hurry. There's a crowd everywhere, and they're just trying to make their way through the crowd. There's probably 1,500 people who live in Capernaum, but there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, more who are there because they want. They've been following Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. They want to be wherever he is. They want to be. They want to hear him speak. They want to see him do miracles. They're intrigued. And, and they're following. So there's a throng that can hardly move. And in the midst of that, this is what it said. Verse 25, it says, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather was growing worse. It was getting worse for her. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I, if I can just touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she could feel in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now let's just stop there for a minute. This woman has been isolated, alone, quarantined kept away from everyone for not for a few days, for 12 years. She has been called unclean. She could not go to the temple to worship. She could not work a job. She could not mix among the people. She had to stay away from everyone for 12 years. And she had spent every dime she had. She had no money left. She was as desperate as they get. And she sneaks into this crowd. So because she has heard that Jesus is there and Jesus heals. And she thinks, I just need to touch him. If I can just touch his garment, everything will be okay. So she sneaks into the crowd because, you know, again, there's a mix of people there that no one knows. She's probably got her face hidden quietly, you know, finding her way over to Jesus, and she touches just the hem of his garment, the tassels, and she's healed. Now, that could be the end of the story. That's what makes this so intriguing and amazing is she's now healed. That could be it. She could walk away, and there's nothing else to tell. But Jesus, knowing that she has touched him, doesn't want it to be the end of the story. He doesn't want her to just be physically healed 
This is a reminder too of, of Mark chapter two, by the way, where he healed the paralytic and he forgave his sins. He doesn't want us to just be physically healed. He wants to bring complete healness. He wants to make her whole again in this community. He wants to give her a purpose again. He wants to give her back her relationships. He wants to make it where she can come and worship in the temple again. So he says, knowing who it was, he touched me. This is what it says. Um, it's uh, in verse 31 or th- verse 30. Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone off from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And again, this is like Genesis chapter three. God you know, is saying to, to Adam, hey, Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam is. He's just helping Adam to come and talk to him. And in the same way, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what are you talking about? You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? They don't get it. They don't understand. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, verse 33, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down, again, fell down before Jesus, just like Jairus did. And then it says this, and this is critical, ready? It says, and then she told him the whole truth. Another translation says she told him the whole story, everything. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute that you're completely surrounded by this crowd, right? You're completely surrounded. And Jesus says, tell me the story. What happened? Now, now Jairus is standing right there. He is in a hurry. His daughter is in trouble. He's got to be dying on the inside. Like, who is even this woman? She is of zero importance, right? My daughter's about to die. Let's go. And yet Jesus stops and says, tell me your whole story. I think it's incredible. And it says she sat there and told him everything. This is how this is why we know all what we know, what John Mark has written. We know that she's broke. We know that she's gone to see all these doctors. We know her whole story. And Jesus sits and he listens. And then he does this. He says to her in front of everyone, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus doesn't just physically heal her, but he has now restored her in this community in front of everyone. She is now back in community. She can be wherever she needs to be. She can work. She can have friends. She can worship. I think it's so powerful. He does it on purpose. And think about this, right? Jairus is the guy who would have told her, no, you can't come in the synagogue. Jairus would have known her, right? There's only 1,500 people in, in Capernaum. Everyone who lived there would have known everyone. He would have been the guy that the next time she shows up to worship, right, the next time the the service is open for her to be there, he would have greeted her at the door and known that she was healed. They would have seen each other in a completely different way than they'd ever seen each other before. But then it goes on. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear. 
Do not fear. This is, by the way, I, I just learned the has, is written in um, scripture, the most uh, uh, given command throughout scripture, 550 times. Don't fear. Do not fear. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And when they entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. In verse 40, they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and he took the child's father and mother and those who were with him. And they went in where the child was. And verse 41, it says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Alitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. I was at a class this past week, and the, and the uh, professor talked about this passage, and he actually said that the, a better translation of little girl is that Jesus called her sweetheart. He said, sweetheart, get up. Arise. I love that. And immediately it says the girl got up and began walking. And check this out. For she was 12 years old. 12. This is no accident that the woman who was healed by Jesus had been bleeding for 12 years. This is why these two stories go together. And this is why the next time this synagogue ruler sees the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, he'll never forget her. Because as long as his child has been alive, it's the same length of time that she was isolated and alone and by herself. And then it says immediately they were all overcome with amazement. They were all overcome with amazement. And then this crazy theme of Mark where he says, don't tell anyone. He strictly charged them that no one should know this. And then he gave her something to eat. Powerful, isn't it? Both of them were desperate. Both Jairus and the woman fell at Jesus' feet. But they could not have been more opposite. Jairus was powerful, important. He had all the relationships. He had a family. He had children. He is, you know... Huge, great reputation, and she was nobody. She was a woman who couldn't even own property. She was broke. She was alone. She had no value. And yet Jesus communicated to that entire place, entire entirety of not just Capernaum, but all the people, the Jairus and this woman, to me, are of equal importance, of equal value. They both get equal amount of my time. And what he's doing is not only communicating that to Jesus we have equal value, but he's also communicating to Jairus and this woman. What I want to see happen is that you would be able to worship together. That you would be able to have community. From the lowest, most isolated to the most powerful and strongest from men and women, from rulers and workers, all of you are of equal value to the Lord. And I want you to have shalom. I want you to have peace. 
I want you to have community and unity and relationship. I think it's so powerful. So there are a couple things I get out of this that I think are um, really important to me. One is Jesus' ministry, and we see this throughout the Gospel of Mark and all the Gospels. His ministry is truly a ministry of interruptions. You know, when we get task-oriented and we get in a hurry, we forget that what, what God wants for us sometimes is just stop and be willing to help somebody nearby. And right now, think about it with everybody is a little worried about coronavirus when people are feeling isolated and alone, stuck in their house, when people are worried about going down to the grocery store. Is there any, is there any toilet paper? Is there any, you know, is there going to be food? When people are worried, this is a time where we can rise up and say, Hey, tell me your story. How are you feeling? What can I do for you? This is when those who are the most vulnerable, you know, who are older are worried and they're afraid and they don't know how this is going to play out. And they hear on the news that you're in trouble if you're over 70, then you better stay inside and you shouldn't see anybody and you should be isolated for who knows how long. Like this woman. And this is our opportunity to not be afraid. As Jesus said, do not fear. Tell me the whole story. Tell me all of your worries and fears. Don't be afraid. Because I'm with you. And he is the great healer. And he knows what he's doing. This is our opportunity to love our neighbor. To reach out to the people nearby to us. Pick up your phone. I I got a phone call from my 90-year-old mom yesterday calling to check on me. What the, What is that? I should be calling her. She's like, I'm fine. I was at the grocery store earlier. I'm like, Mom, you're 90. Stay home. She's like, I'm fine. Oh, my goodness. She's like, I had to go get my hair done. Like, you don't, you don't have to get your hair done, Mom. Stay home. Get a brush. You can do it yourself. No, but she's, she refuses to stay at home. She's not scared, by the way. She's just not. I don't know why, but she's not. But this is our opportunity. And, and and the thing that it made me think was this, was who has shared their story with me lately? What have I done? What have I done to create a space that somebody would want to tell me all of their stuff? Whether it's in a small group, a home group, or a relationship over the phone, via text. But let me just say, there's people out there, they need to share their stories. They're scared. They feel alone. They're vulnerable. And it's so easy for us to just stay in our little groups, right? People that we know and love and friends. But man, the Lord wants us to be willing and ready to listen and to ask the question, how are you? Tell me, how are you really? What's going on in your heart and your life? And stop and not be in such a hurry. Jesus did that amazingly. I'm convinced that Jairus' life and this woman's life are now changed forever, and they can never see each other again without remembering what Jesus has done. And that is true for us. When we come together and we experience God's blessing 
and healing and love. We're changed forever. And we see each other in different ways. But it's not just for us. It's for our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and the and our friends that we go to school with. We want them to experience that as well. So I guess I would say this. Who are you sharing your story with? Do you have someone? And who is sharing their story with you? Who is pouring out their heart that you and I and love? Thanks for letting me join you from Hartford. I'm going to pray, and then um, I don't know what you guys are going to do next. I'm probably going to go make a cup of coffee. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for Forest Town Church. Thank you for the courage of Aunt and Helen, who um, chose to follow your lead so many, 20 years ago, 20 years ago to come to the UK and plant this church. And the number of people that it has affected because of their faithfulness and obedience, including the Hunter family. And God, I pray that you would give us all courage to go wherever you want us to go and love the people you want us to love. God, we know that your deep desires for each and every person to find peace, shalom, community, restoration, wonderful, deep, intimate relationships so we pray for that we pray that we can experience that and we can help others experience that that we can be a catalyst in other people's lives we love you lord we trust you with all that you want to do thanks for the internet in jesus name amen thanks mike